0: all right first kings chapter 18 i normally normally on a sunday morning i don't know if this uh, if i necessarily have a reason for this but on a sunday morning i normally would preach from the new testament i do a lot of bible studies on wednesday nights through the old testament and um i'm going i'm doing a bible study on wednesdays at one o'clock service we meet in building a here and in the evenings we meet in the main auditorium and we're doing a bible study through the book of second kings but I was reading through, I, I love history. I tell people this all the time. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd probably be a history teacher. I love history. Every vacation that we have ever had always either starts or ends up in Washington, D.C. I love American history. I, I just love, I love history. And so I naturally love to read through the book of Kings. I, when I, a couple of years ago, two or three years ago now it's been, we took a group of people to Israel. And I've always heard that once you get to Israel, uh, everything changes, and that is so true. You see things so different in the Word of God. As we were there in, in, in Israel, we were on the Mount Carmel, this place where Second King or First Kings chapter 18, this event took place. And on Mount Carmel, as we were looking, you could see the sea. And here in in 1 in Kings 18, they're praying for rain. And the Bible says that Elijah tells his servant to go and pray and begin to look seven times and over the, the great sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea, they see a, a cloud uh, as, a, as a fist of a man coming from the sea and it brought rain. And I remember standing there, the Carlsons were with us there, I remember standing there on Mount Carmel and, and seeing the, the sea. And I, I was looking at the clouds wondering, you know, are they going to rain while we're here? Then we look down and we see the valley of Armageddon. And just did a, a fascinating, fascinating, uh, uh, bring, brings the Bible to life as you're reading the Bible. And so since that trip, I've really, I've studied through some of the Old Testament and some of these locations and these places. And we come to First Kings chapter 18. These were very dark days for Israel. These were days of uh, apostasy. These were horrible, horrible days, days of sin for Israel. Israel has a king named Ahab and a king named, named Jezebel. And the Bible tells us that these two were just wicked. The Bible tells us a few chapters earlier in 1 Kings that, that Ahab was just a wicked and evil king, and he caused Israel to sin. There were, there were places that there in Israel we visited. And, and uh, uh, when, when Israel and Judah separated, the, the, uh, the kings of Israel were afraid that they would reunite. The ten tribes would reunite because they would want to go back down to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. And so they made their own temples and in, in, uh, uh, places of worship. Except those places of worship that they made became places they worshipped Baal and worshipped false gods. When we were there visiting, and I've told the church this before, when we were there visiting in Israel, we went to one of those places in the north where they they uh, worshipped other gods, and, and they were showing us, and it's just a, a darkness about that place, even still today. They would show us different places, the pit where they would uh, have child sacrificing took place there at that temple, and that's not what God intended. There were, there were problems. that that were there at the temple. And and instead of worshiping God, they were worshiping Baal and false God. And and great sin, horrible sin, came upon the people. The people had forgotten God. They've gone now to worshiping Baal. They've gone to worshiping the Canaanite gods. And Elijah here in chapter number 18 is challenging their prophets There on Mount Carmel, he's challenging them. He says, if your God is greater, your gods are greater than God, Jehovah, then he could send fire down from heaven and consume these sacrifices. I tell you, I know that our church well enough to know this. You would agree with this. We long to see revival in our nation today, don't you? Long to see revival that fire falling from heaven where God is is sending a great revival across our land. The reality is this, America is sick. There's a rampage of violence across our nation. I saw on the news just past week there on one of our major cities, the cameras that that are capturing events that are taking place on the corners there, there were four or five came up and and came into contact and began to fight with several others. They all just uh, pulled guns out and began shooting, and, and their human beings lie bleeding on the streets in the major cities in our nation. America's in trouble. Illegitimate births, teenage suicide, divorce rates are soaring. Pornography now is just consuming every part of our, of our uh, lives and, and perverseness. America has forgotten God. And there are some that say this, that, that God is is not going to send revival once again, that, that the days of revival are over, that, that no longer are we going to see multitudes, great multitudes of people being saved. As a matter of fact, I believe that many Christians are are falling into that and believing that and they're they're coming to church and they're living their lives and they're really thinking that, that nothing great, no more miracles are going to take place, that God is no longer going to work like he did in the past. And And church, I I believe that at any moment, at any moment, we're going to see that uh, the rapture of the church is going to take place. I believe at any moment that Trump is going to sound and we that are alive and remain are going to be caught up in the clouds. I believe that with all of my heart. But I also believe this, that there's nothing, there's nothing at all that would cause God not to send a revival before that takes place. I think if we believe that there's no more days of revival, we're living in a very defeatist attitude. I believe the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, is the God of 2021. And if God wants to send revival, God can't, still can send revival. The Bible says in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. God has not forgotten us. God has not forsaken us. He is still alive, and he is still powerful, and God still desires for mankind to come to know his son, Jesus Christ, as their savior. Souls are still being saved. God is still at work. Do you believe that today? In Acts, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, look with me in verse number 3. Because I believe that God can still send fire. I still believe that revival can take place. But there's some enemies of revival. We see this here in Acts chapter 18. Look with me in verse number three. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now, there's something interesting because here we find... Obadiah is the governor of the king's house. He's, he's the king's servant. King Ahab is one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel. Jezebel. How many of you ever named your daughter after Jezebel? Anybody? No, you wouldn't do that. She's a wicked, wicked queen. If you did, God love her. We'll give her two snow cones today. I did not need me to offend you if we did, if you did. We can always change her name after church today, too, if you'd like to do that. Here's here's Obadiah serving as the governor of the most wicked king and queen in Israel's history. But the Bible says this about Obadiah. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. It's, It's almost like verse number three. It just doesn't make sense. How could Obadiah, the, the the king's servant, the most wicked king of Israel, also love the Lord greatly? For it was so when Jebel cut off the prophets of that Obadiah took hundreds, a hundred prophets and hid them by, by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water. This is what he's doing. He's kind of living both lives. He's, he's serving Jezebel. He's serving Ahab. But when trouble came to, the, to those that were serving the, the one true God, he was feeding them and, and giving them water and giving them shelter and giving them safety. In verse number five, and Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land unto all fountains of water and unto the, all brooks, peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beast. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, this is an interesting, interesting verse to me. Say so why, why are they going to look for grass? Why are they going to look for food for animals? Because it hasn't rained now in some three and a half years. Remember, the judgment of God came upon Israel. And God said to Elijah that there's not going to be any rain. And so now now there's great drought and and they can't have fields for for harvest and they can't feed their animals. There's no green grass to eat. There's no nutrients there. Their animals are dying. The people are hungry. There's great, the great uh, uh, judgment now is upon Israel. The Bible says that Obadiah greatly feared the Lord, but he was also a servant of Ahab. See, the enemy of revival would be this, those that compromise. And I would say, church, in these last days, we cannot compromise. We cannot give up serving the Lord. We can't have one foot in the world, and one foot in Christianity, or one foot in the world, or one foot in the church. We need to choose who we're going to serve. Are we going to serve Baal, or are we going to serve God? We can't serve two masters. We must choose, as uh, Joshua said, but as for me, and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Here, this is the problem with Obadiah. Obadiah, instead of going to look for grass, he should have said to his his master, instead of looking for grass, instead of doing this in our own power, why don't we repent and turn back to God? Why don't we realize that there's nothing in our own strength that we're going to be able to do to fix this problem? What's wrong is we've sinned against an almighty God. What's wrong is we are living in defiance, direct defiance from an almighty God. What we need to do instead of trying to solve this ourselves is turn back to God. Listen to me, in society today, there's so many that are compromising. They're trying to put man's plan instead of God's plan. They're trying to, they're trying to get success their way instead of God's way. You see, Obadiah, he ceased to pray. He said, I'm going to work. Listen to me. There are things that can only come by God's hand. Judgment it was upon Israel. And no matter how hard they worked, no matter how many ways they went, no matter how much grass they tried to find, God's judgment was upon them. What they needed to do is get down on their knees and repent and turn back to God. I see the enemy of revival here. I see, first of all, is compromise. Secondly, I want you to see this. Look with me in verse number 17 of the same chapter. Are you with me today? It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah. That Ahab said unto him, "Art thou he that troubleth Israel?" Again, this this verse is crazy. He says, "Ahab, the guy that is sinning, the guy that they're 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 sacrificing children. This guy that is 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 murderous. This guy that is wicked. He's the worst king that Israel has ever seen, and he comes to the man." says to the prophet of God, are you the one that's causing all these problems? Isn't it amazing those that do wicked want to blame their troubles on those that do right? Isn't it crazy in the nation we're living in today, they want to call Christians those that hate? Those that stand upon biblical principles, they're the ones that are causing the problems? Those are the ones with the issues? No. Secondly, the enemy of revival is those that are corrupt. Here, Ahab, he's blaming Elijah Elijah for the problems that they're facing in Israel. But I I like what Elijah says. He says back in verse number 18, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou. Here, Here, Elijah turns it all back on Ahab, and he says to Ahab, No, no, you've got it all wrong. The message I'm preaching is to help Israel. The message I'm preaching is to Israel to turn from their sin. You're the one, you're the man that's causing such trouble and and violence and, and judgment upon this nation. You see, sometimes those that are in authority like Ahab, they feel like they're doing right. But Elijah said to Ahab, you're the man. You're the corrupt one. Then I want you to see this. Look with me in the same chapter, verse number 19. We find the verse continues, the story continues. Now, therefore, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, 450. And the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long how, halt thee between two? How long halt thee between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And look what the responses of the people. The people answered him not a word. There's great confusion. I'm sure the people are looking. Well, if I give up Baal, I'm going to give up all the things that the king and the queen are offering me. I'm going to give up the food. I'm going to give up the riches. I'm going to give up all, all the access that I have. If I choose one, I'm going to lose. If I choose the other, I'm going to lose. And here are these prophets, these, these 450 prophets, these other 400 men that are coming. They're very confused. You know what what hinders this revival that we could see is corrupt men, what hinders is compromising men, and what hinders are confused people. They answered him not. And this is what this is what Elijah says: make up your mind. Get off the fence. And I would say the same thing to the church today. We need to get off the fence. We need to make up our mind. Who are we going to serve? Is it God? Then let's serve God. You say, well, there's consequences that might come when we serve God. Yes, there's consequences that might come, but it's right to do. Listen to me, God's people always should make a difference. People should see a difference in you. I think of the New Testament verse, the chapter in Acts chapter 2, the disciples allowed the Holy Spirit of God to make a difference in their life. And when the, when the disciples began to preach on the day of Pentecost, and, and 3,000 people were there, they saw a difference. They heard something different, and they repented of their sins, and they Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, church, what I'm simply saying to you today, more than ever, I believe we need Christians that don't have a foot in the world and not a foot in Christianity, but Christians that say, I am going to choose God. I am going to make a difference in our generation for Christ. I want you to see this next. Not only do we see those that compromise, not only do we see those that are corrupt, not only do we see those that are confused, we also see those, look with me in verse number 22 of the same chapter. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. These 450 men were competing against God. Today in our society, we have humanism, we have atheism, we have, we have communism, we have false gods, we have man's religion, we have works-based salvation. And all of these are in direct defiance against God. We live in a society today where prayer is no longer. We live in a society today where you can't pray in Jesus' name. We live in a society today where they want to take in God trust off of things in buildings and in places in our, in our government. There's competing voices against God. There's competing those that compete against God. But I want you to know this. Although there are corrupt people, although there's compromisers, although those are God is more powerful, and God is mightier, and God is stronger. And none of those things can keep God's revival from coming. And so what's necessary? I want you to look with me. I'm glad you asked in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Look with me in verse number 30. Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me and all the people came near unto him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. There was an altar there, but it was broken. There's 450 prophets of Baal, Ahab and, and Jezebel and, and all of those that were doing whatever they can to, to compete against God and defy God and shake their, their, their fist in God's face and said, we're going to live who, how we want to live. We're going to worship who we want to worship. We're going to do what we want to do. There was an altar there, but it was broken down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came saying Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as a great as would contain 2 measures of seed. And the people came together Church, what's necessary for revival? And I would say this, a spirit of unity and solidarity. The church needs to come together. The church needs to understand. There's altars that must be fixed. There's areas in our lives that must be repaired. The church needs to come together to see the power of God take place. In 1 Kings chapter number 18, look with me in verse number 32. Again, in the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as a great as great as would contain two measures of seed. I want you to see this here. He also made a trench. And what he did was say, all right, we're going to make a line. There's going to be a line that I'm going to draw. This is the altar of God, and we're going to repair this altar. And we're going to sacrifice on this altar. And we're going to worship God once again on this altar. And we're going we're to draw a line, a trench around where we used to sacrifice. There was a separation made. Now, now listen to me, now, I'm not talking about legalism here. But I'm talking about there's a difference between the world and God's holy people. This past week, two weeks now, I told you last week, uh, just seemed like it just kept getting worse. I. Was on vacation. On my ride home, my son and I were driving. I had a couple friends call me and say, "Hey, what's going on with Pastor So and So?" I, and I honestly didn't know. My I didn't. I didn't. I, I was just out of the loop for a week while I was on vacation. Not long after those phone calls, I then began to hear, hear and my friend, me, and he said, "Listen, I just want you to know that I had to resign." My Who's living in sin for four or five years. This is someone that I had preached here twice. Just devastating. And as the out and the worse it got and just broke my heart. As Michelle and I talked, she said, Boy, we've had lunch with them, we've eaten with them, we've 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 been to conferences together with them. They're our friends. Not long after that, a few days later, I got news that there was a, another pastor that resigned and of a, of a mission board in his church because of, 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 of sexual immorality once again. Just a few days ago, I heard of another friend resigning his ministry, not because of he and his wife, but because of other leadership that was involved in immorality that, that uh, they tried to cover it up. When it was revealed, but no part of this. I'm saying today, there's got to be a difference, church. We're too comfortable with sin. And we don't want our sin preached against. We want to go to church, and if we can if we can hear a good message that that tickles our ears and makes me feel good, listen to me. I believe in the grace of God. I believe in the forgiving power of the cross. I believe that no matter what you've done, that Jesus Christ will forgive you. No no matter what you've done, Jesus Christ will save you no matter who you are, no matter what your sin is. If you come to the foot of the cross, you are forgiven. I believe that. That's not a license for us as Christians to continue to sin. There's got to be a separation, there's got to be a line drawn. Too many Christians are living as Christians when it's easy and it's simple, but when the difficult days come, when the hard times come, when the when, when days get dark, that's not the time to choose sin. It's not the time to separate ourselves from God. It's time that Christians today choose that we are going to live a, a holy life separated from the world. We need a spirit of unity. We need separation of God's people from the world. Look with me in verse number 33 of the same chapter, and he put the wood in order. He cut the bullocks in pieces and laid them on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. So just picture this with me, if you would. He says, I want, they rebuild this this, this, this altar. He puts wood on this altar. He says, now what I want you to do is, I want you to put four barrels of water. How many of you have ever built a fire before? How many of you used four barrels of water to do it? No. I've been, I I see the moors out there. They, they, They build bonfires out in their backyard. I've never seen a garden hose spraying down the wood before you light it. No. And if if four barrels isn't enough, look what he says in verse number 34. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And, and, And so that's eight barrels, right? How many mathematicians do we have here today? Is that eight? And then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. You know what's interesting? Not even the fact that they were putting water on this. What's interesting to me is this it hasn't rained in three and a half years, and water is such a precious thing. And they took they took four barrels of water three different times, and he poured this precious water out on these, on this offering. You know, if Elijah, if this doesn't work, he's in big trouble. He, he not only is going to look like a fool, he has poured out life-saving water that's needed for the people and in the, in the, in the cattle. But I want you to mark this down. He put a priority on the sacrifice. That sacrifice, as you see sacrifices here in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, what they are, it's a type of the one true sacrifice, Jesus Christ. It's a blood sacrifice. We as Christians today, we need to put a priority back on the sacrifice. We need to put a priority back on Jesus Christ, the cross, the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ is what saves Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Oh, we we need to get back to preaching. There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, religion can't save you, and church can't save you, and good works can't save you. Why? Because there has to be a, a blood sacrifice. That only sacrifice that'll ever save a, a human being, a soul, is Jesus Christ in the sacrifice that He made on the cross. There's got to be a priority back on the sacrifice. I would say to a church, if we're going to see revival, there has to be a priority back on the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to see next as well. Is everybody with me still? In First Kings chapter eighteen, look with me in verse number thirty-three and thirty-four and thirty-five. We read thirty-three. Let's go to thirty-four. And He said, "Do it again." In verse number 35, he says, do it again. And the water ran around about the altar and it filled the trench also with water. We need supernatural power of God. We have tried to do it ourselves too long. I tell you what's not gonna send a revival is putting a tent up on our soccer field. That's not gonna send revival. We need God's supernatural power. All this week, we're doing special things. We're hosting conferences, and there's ladies' activities, and and a golf outing yesterday, and the Ball Brothers will be here at the end of the month, and, and we'll have snow cones for you today, and all of these things are wonderful things, but none of those things can replace the supernatural power of God. We don't need more gimmicks. We don't need our own intellect. We need God and God alone. And I know the world says that your your faith is, is so small that you're putting your faith in something that's invisible. And I would say to you, as the pastor of this church, that's exactly what we're doing. We're putting our faith in a God that we've never seen. We're putting our faith in a Savior that died for our sins. We are believing that God is almighty. We believe that we need God. I need God as a pastor of this church. And I need God as, I, as I'm a husband to my wife. And I need God as I raise my children. I need God. I can't do this alone. <laughs> Only God can do this. And this is what he did. He soaked the wood. And you know what's incredible? After all of this soaking of the wood, God can still bring the fire. He still burn the wood. We need a supernatural power of God. Then I think church, let's not lose this. Look with me in 1st Kings 18:36 and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, "Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God, that thou art God in Israel." And that I am thy servant, and that I have done all things, all these things at thy word. Hear me, O God, hear me. That this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Would you write this down, please, what's needed? This fervent prayer. Prayer for God to be glorified. Listen, I know we're we're, we're commanded to, we pray for those that are sick. We pray when we have troubles. But here Elijah was praying that God would be glorified. Church, when was the last time you prayed that God would be glorified? When was the last time that you said, God, my simple request is for that mankind would know you? My request is that those that are lost in darkness, those that are steeped in sin, would see your power, would see your majesty, would see your might and come to know you. We need prayer. Prayer is one of the things that are talked most about in church, but done the least. We get busy, we plan, we prepare, we get moving with our life. Our days start so early, we are, they're so packed with things and I'm afraid we've lost the power of prayer. How much time have you spent in prayer? We've worshiped the Lord today. We've come in, we've served all week long. We've served at funerals, we've served people, we've made visits, we've 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 prepared the tent, we've we've practiced the music, we've 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 rehearsed all the things, and we've planned, we've put out flyers, we've 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 put out on social media, we've done everything that we can do. But I want to ask us, church, how much have we prayed? Which time are we given to prayer? How many of you agree we need to get back to prayer? When the fire falls, I need to be done. When the fire fell, it consumed. And, oh, church, I want us to be consumed with God. It not only consumes, it convicts. Look with me in verse number 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. My heart yearns for a mighty revival of God. People come to know God. My heart yearns for a time, whether it's in a tent, or in a building, or in your home, in your closet. The power of God begins to consume you, begins to consume me, convict us and our hearts are changed. I tell you church, it doesn't not much more excites me than when we give an invitation and somebody raises their hand and says I want to trust Christ as my Savior. I want to know Jesus. Not much more consumes me and excites me when a child of God says, I want to get right with God. I want a revival to come. Someone said, why did we, why did we come outside under a tent? And the truth is, I just needed to lose some weight and I wanted to sweat it off. <laughs> the truth, no. Nothing else has worked, my wife says. Go back to the tent. No, the truth is sometimes we just get so used to doing the norm. Church just becomes what we do. We park in our spot, we go through the same door, we talk to the same person, we sit in the same seat, we listen, but we don't, and we go out, and that becomes our life. And for so many of us, we're dry, we're going through the motions. We have not felt that anointing from God in a long time. We've not visited our prayer closet and said, God, I'm not getting out till I hear from you. I'm not getting out till you're glorified. I'm not getting out. Until you answer this prayer. We're drying our marriages. We're dry in our Christian life. We're dry in our service to the Lord. We're consumed with so much. But I want to say to you this, as Elijah said, pick who you choose, the world or God. And pray for revival. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to pray. We've got a couple to be baptized today and I'm going to ask them to get ready. But I'm I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to come to this stage here. The first row. Maybe where you're at. And I want you to kneel and say, God, send the fire. I'm dry. Send the fire. My job has consumed me. My family has consumed me. My, my, my lust has consumed me. Maybe there's sin in your life right now that's consumed you. Maybe it's time for you to say, God, I'm pouring the water on. I want you to send revival. I'm going to ask right where you are, if you'd stand with me. And if you would like to come, I'm going to ask you, church, don't wait. Don't wait around. Don't wait and see. We're not during the worship time. Don't look around and say, is is somebody singing so I can sing? If, the, if the God is spoken to your heart today, right now, I want everyone to stand with me right now. I want you to stand. If God is dealing with your heart today, if God is dealing with you, I want you to take a step to this altar right here. Make an altar out of this stage, out of this area. Rebuild that altar in your life. Come on. Would you come? Some have come. Is there any others? Don't wait. Don't wait. God, rebuild that altar. Put the wood on the altar. Let the fire of God come down. Maybe your marriage just is a little bit dry. Maybe it doesn't once did. Why don't you grab your spouse, instead of you trying to fix it, instead of you trying to do something, why don't you just simply grab your spouse's hand, bring him down this altar and say, God, send fire? Maybe there's a child in your family. They're just not right. Why don't you say, God, send the fire? Don't wait. Maybe your Bible reading, your prayer life, it's gotten to be just mundane. And maybe maybe even honestly, if you're honest, you'd say it's not even really there anymore. Why don't you come and say, God, send the fire? I want to know your presence. Maybe you want to just come and say, Lord, send revival. I'm tired of looking at the new seeing this nation falling apart, the violence, the, the 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 perverseness, the hatred, the sin. Oh, we've complained. But have you prayed? Maybe there's one here today. As many are praying, is there one here today? Would say this: I need, I need to be saved. I want this revival. I want God's power. But I need to trust Christ as my Savior. Is there one here today just with an upraised hand and I'll pray with you here today. Just leave it up so I can see it. Don't don't just slip it back down. I, I wanna scan this this crowd here and take me a moment. Would you just lift your hand up? You're amongst friends. Nobody's gonna embarrass you. Matter of fact, we'll rejoice with you. Is there one here today you would say, I need to trust Christ as my savior. I want to be saved, I want heaven to be my home. I want to be gloriously saved today. I, I, I don't know if I even know all the answers, but I just know the Holy Spirit of God right now is, is doing something in my heart. And I, I I want you to pray with me because I want to trust Christ as my savior today. Is there one like that today? Would you just slip your hand up and leave it there for me to see it so I can pray with you? Is there anyone like that at all, anywhere? out from under the tent. Is there one? God, you you know these hearts. We want the fire. We want to be consumed with you. And for some, Lord, our hearts have grown cold. We need you to start a fire again. For some, we've gotten so close to the world. We need you to send a fire again. Lord, we wanna see this world reached with the gospel. We wanna see missionaries sent. We wanna see men and women and boys and girls surrender to the gospel ministry. We wanna see churches started. We wanna see churches revitalized. We wanna see homes replenished and renewed by your power and your strength. We want to see the prodigal come home. We want to experience your glory and your power. Send the fire. Consume us, convict us. And we love you in Jesus' name. You may be seated for just a moment. We're going to baptize today. And before we do that, before you get in there, unless it's warm, okay, we're going to baptize two today. One is um, Christian Ikepa. Several weeks ago, Christian Ikepa came to me and he says, you know, pastor, I got saved when I was a kid. I got baptized. He says, and then later on in life, when I was a little bit older, a teenager or so, I realized... I made a profession of faith and I don't remember any of it. And he said, So I just got reassurance of my salvation, he says, and so I've been telling myself, well, I just needed reassurance. And and then I realized I wasn't baptized, but I thought, well, I just got reassurance. And then the Lord really began to convict him and said, You weren't saved the first time, you just got saved. And the Bible says, they that gladly received him were baptized. And so I know, while I was sitting at my desk, I'll just be totally honest with you, I was sitting at my desk and he came in and told me, and I thought to myself, oh, that's great. I got a guy on our staff that's not baptized. Thanks, Christian. I'm like, I don't have enough problems, I got to explain this one. The Lord just began to speak to me and said, you know what? Would you rather have him be disobedient? Because he could have just not done anything. Could have just gone on and just continued to serve the Lord and be on staff and know in his heart that I'm being disobedient to the Spirit of God. And I thought to myself, actually, I'd rather have a person on staff that's obedient, that's sensitive to the Spirit of God. Than one that would just not do something out of embarrassment. Oh, we could have just taken him into the church with nobody to know. We could have baptized him. But there's no reason to hide it. And I I thought this, what God can, can do with this? He can just use this to show somebody else. Maybe you're not being obedient with God and you're thinking, no, it doesn't really matter, or I'm too embarrassed. Maybe God will just use this in your life. And so I'm glad that Christian was obedient to God it takes a lot of courage to come before the church today and say i need to be baptized and so i told him he owes us all the money that we've paid him since he's been on staff back no i didn't say that (laughs) so chris
1: you'd think after four weeks that the water would be warmer it's not But it is awesome to see our young people following the Lord in baptism. And uh, as a church, I think we ought to be excited about the fact that we uh, are seeing this on a regular basis. I have people asking me every week now, who's getting baptized this week? And uh, so it's an awesome thing to uh, see uh, in our church, the baptismal waters troubled every week. So this is Madison Fry. Madison, have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Then I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And this is Christian. Christian, have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, sir. Then, with joy I baptize you My brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection.
0: Amen. Well, if you have a ticket, if you have kids, make sure you go get your kids and make sure you get a ticket. I think they're getting tickets inside there. But um, there's a snow cone machine or truck here, and there's several stations, so they can serve.